0: So, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Mark Dean Vecca. He joined me from his studio in Southern California via Skype. We talk drawing, early positive reinforcement, linesmanship, holy grail searches, installations, overwhelming oneself, wall paintings, working class, Sneaking in the Back Door, Kent Twitchell, Murals, Stream of Consciousness, Puma Urban Art, Frank Kozik, LA Municipal Gallery, and Public Art. So, as always, make sure you go check out the website, MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the blog, and you'll get all the links for all the artists and all the information about the show. You can also donate to the show via PayPal over there on the blog as well. All the links are there. Just click on the PayPal icon, and uh, or the donate icon, and it'll take you to PayPal and... Uh, Give you all the instructions. So with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Mark Dean Becker.
1: Hello. Hey Mark. How's it going?
0: Alright, I uh I just need to start the Ustream program and then I'll um I'll do that switch over thing I was telling you about. Just makes right. me it makes me start Skype first. I have all these rules and regulations I have to go through to make this thing happen.
1: Fidgety yeah, I computers. I don't know right? much about this stuff. I just started using Skype uh, recently. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, I'm actually doing a good majority of the uh, of these podcasts via Skype. All right, Mark. Thank you for joining me. I uh, I appreciate uh, your time. Oh, my pleasure. I'll do it. Uh, we've we've never met in person, so it's a it's a privilege to get to to speak with you. Um, I, I guess I first became familiar with your work uh, around two thousand seven, two thousand eight, which I think I was a little behind the curve. But um, I had started to see things here and there, and then you did the show at uh, in La Jolla at UCSD, which I'm a I'm a San Diego native. So right. as soon as I saw that, I finally started like putting all the pieces together. And uh, really became familiar with your work. Um, I'm curious: did uh, was art a part of your life right from the get go?
1: Well, pretty much. I mean, only in the way that you know it was something that I was interested interested in doing, as far as drawing. You know, like it's not like I came from a, a real artistic family, except well, except for music, actually. A lot of a lot of musicians in the family, but I just like I remember as a kid in second grade, sort of. Um, you know, drawing, copying things, and other kids sort of uh, expressing an interest in that and saying, oh, wow, you're a good artist, you know, and so it really, uh, you know, inspired me to keep keep going, getting that kind of positive reinforcement, you know.
0: Yeah, um, something that I, I really admire in your work, and I think that is something that I want to talk about, like, right out the gate is the uh, quality of line um, in the stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. I know. And a lot of times uh, since I'm an artist, I'll, I'll sort of, um, I'll put my sort of journey, like I'll, uh, what's it called? I'll sort of place it on other people. Uh, mm. and I, myself as a, as a linesman, I guess, if that's a a real word, it sounds like mm-hmm. a football term, but, right, right. uh, I did like the soul search for like the perfect, uh, mixture of the perfect ink, paint that worked right. perfect the perfect uh, material and tool to to create the line that i wanted to do did you have the same process
1: yeah i mean definitely because uh you know drawing was really the thing that i loved the most you know so i mean just doing ink on paper was sort of you know that was that was where i started and then trying to replicate that in more of a painting in painting sort of materials uh either on canvas or on the wall in an installation um you know so i was i had to search around and and really try to experiment with different things until i finally found the materials that i really like uh to use for that stuff did you Did
0: you find was it like a like a holy grail scenario for you
1: Kind of, I mean, it was, you know, it was, um, it's still, I still kind of fool around with different things, you know, uh, lately I've been experimenting with different stuff on the wall just because I'm like, you know, this is, it's kind of a pain in the ass for me to get together all my little, uh, ingredients, especially when I'm doing something, you know, in a different city or a different country. Um, you know, as far as like the paintings go on canvas, I pretty much just, I didn't, I didn't have to search out the right, uh, painting uh, you know medium for the line work I just had to find the right surface to work on so I ended up using this uh, flash acrylic which is a vinyl uh, comes from France and it's very it's super matte and flat and it was kind of absorbent so I just use straight up India ink like super black India ink on that and it works great and then I, I, I spray varnish it and all that but um, but for the walls yeah I mean it was more of like trial and error in that way and i i'm still like i'm still recently you know uh fine-tuning that kind of stuff
0: yeah and you mentioned doing uh wall paintings you do for people who don't know you do huge uh installations where you you basically take over a whole space and and turn it into your um own world Mm -hmm. um with doing that do you do you have a good plan before you go into a
1: big space like that like like
0: a like a map in your mind of what
1: you wanna do? well no, no, actually, I almost always have a super detailed plan of what I'm gonna do for that stuff because you know the time is always so limited, usually you know I'll have like a week or two or three, I mean, depending on how big the space is, but you know the bigger you know I always wanna do like the most ambitious thing I can do, and I always make it you know. The most complicated thing I can I can think of but I also sort of complicate that by by planning it out mapping it out down to the inch basically but to me that frees me up to be more spontaneous once I get the ball rolling with the line work you know so I'm not having to make corrections and adjustments and step back and look at it like that's all planned out ahead of time and then you know um it's all it's all done when i get there at that part of it
0: and and time is really a necessity because if for people who don't know like the amount of time like you know i often say a, a small painting takes as long as a big painting but to paint a whole entire room is tedious to say the least right mm-hmm. and you yeah. have to you have to plan it if if you want to be able to complete it in that short period of time that you have
1: yeah exactly i mean it's sort of i don't want to mess around with with all that once I get there, when I get there, I just want to like, I need to bang it out and I will, you know, usually I'll bring assistance with me, different people that I've worked with in the past and local people who's ever around and interns or students or, or whatever. But I need to be able to, to get the bulk of that done as quickly as possible. So then, you know, when I go back in to, to do the line work, like I said, um, that part, I can just be, I'll have time to do that. I'll have the time and the energy to do that part of it which to me is the most satisfying part of the whole process anyway you had
0: uh, you mentioned that you like overwhelming the viewer sometimes which mm-hmm. these really tedious wall murals have there's there's a, an amazing amount of marks that go into a wall which is something i always appreciate like it doesn't even i don't even need to see an image for a full image but just to acknowledge each Singular marking that takes place, like mm-hmm. the, I find value in that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by using that sort of idea of overwhelming the viewer? Do you get halfway through and be like, "Wow, I still have halfway to go with all this oh, shit. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No, that's the thing, and I've got, i think I've gotten better at it over the years. Where I'm not pulling all-nighters on this stuff because I—I I, I really. I mean, I've done that before, and I realized that, okay, this is not why I'm doing this. I, I'm doing this because it's something I love and I enjoy, and and uh, so to make it so painful in and, and that way, it just takes... And then also, if you're rushing at the end, like I said, that's the, the most important part of it. So, And the black line work is always, uh, you know, comes at the end, and so I need to have some time and actually the work comes out completely different. You know, I mean, if I'm really rushing it, I mean, I could still do it, but it's, it's kind of nice to have a few minutes, uh, you know, to think about things and to a little, consider things a little more. Uh, but yeah, totally. I've, I've gotten into the situations where I'm like, Oh my God, I have that much to do and I have this amount of time. And, uh, you know, so I've been, I've really, yeah, I've really tried to, uh, Try not to do that lately. It's uh. It's also becomes fi- extremely physically
0: taxing, right? Like yeah. i I feel like I'm in fairly good physical shape, and after a day of painting on a wall, you could feel those repetitive movements. And it's kind of like like people who get tattooed know this. That like sometimes you get tattooed, and it's not the pain of the tattoo that you feel the next day, but it's actually the pain of sitting in a weird position <laughs> nonstop for hours on end. Uh-huh. Interesting. Do you find uh, do you find that really physical and mental draining? Yeah,
1: it it totally is. It's it's you know it's it's going up and down a ladder a thousand times. You know, and uh, sometimes you have a lift, which is great. You know, you can drive that around and go up and down. That helps a lot. But sometimes that's that doesn't really apply. And sometimes it's better to have a ladder. You know, if you have to carry this ladder around, all these things that I mean, I don't know. People might not think about, but these are all things that go into it. And so I try to make it, you know, as efficient as possible. Um, but these are, you know, these are big spaces. And, and I like I like doing those installations because it's really the only way to make work on that scale. I mean, something really monumental. Uh, and it, it kind of has to be on the wall in that case. It's really no way to do that off-site and bring it in and, you know, and have the same feeling.
0: Just judging you by, like, books cover, I guess, since we don't really know one another, I've, mm-hmm. I've always kind of looked at your work and, I guess, perceived you as a sort of, like, working class guy, and I think I get that kind of in the, the idea that you're willing to go paint these these um, these sort of highbrow exhibition spaces, so, you know, like... Pushing the ladder around, getting the ladder bruises. Ladder bruises are the are the fucking worst. I hate that. Like the back of the calf ladder bruises. They're the worst. Right. But um, is it is there is there some truth to that? Is that is that percent is there any accurate perception to that? Like it feels like you know there's a there's like a handmade. I think there's something with all artists being handmade. that There's a working class ethic to to us. Um, is is there something in your past or or your early life that uh, would make me think
1: that i don't know I, I don't i don't really i don't think so i mean i don't really wouldn't say that um i mean you know i grew up you know very like middle class my father's an engineer um you know suburban bay area i grew up in livermore california you know um and i don't know i've never really had that kind Any outside of the art world you know i've never had like a real like Blue collar type of job, you know what I mean. It, I mean, some of the stuff in the art world, but it's if it's in the art world, it's not really that <laughs> that tough to begin with, you know. Right, of um, course. This, I don't know if that answers your question or if that's what you were like driving at, but I mean, I don't know.
0: Well, it's totally a, like just judging the book by its cover because I think there's something to the fact that the willingness to go paint these spaces that I that you know. Um, are just going to be painted over so it's almost like you're giving something for free Mm -hmm. and it's almost like there's there's something um a little bit different than the i would say i think the normal art that would be shown in some of these venues that it's Mm -hmm. that maybe uh for someone like me it it may seem a little snootier or a little like uh like high class It, it almost feels like like some of the artists who I'm seeing get into these museums in bigger spaces now have sort of snuck in the back door, but maybe mm-hmm. that's just uh perception right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you Do you find any disconnect between like what museums are showing ten years ago or maybe twenty years ago to now? Does any of that make sense? Do
1: you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, there is definitely, you know, I mean, especially lately, you know, when I was, when I first started my, my uh, when I did my first large scale wall painting, I mean, I actually, I did one when I was in art school on the f- side of the Hollywood freeway, but that was sort of as a, uh, you know, I was studying with a, a drawing teacher who was a famous muralist, Kent Twitchell, who did a lot of stuff in LA. And, so we just sort of did that under his sort of tutelage for that semester. And then I never did anything else like that for, you know, like 13 years later or so, which was my first uh, one at, at the drawing center in New York. And that was a show called Wall Drawings. And that was actually um, uh, Barry McGee was, that was his first uh, show in New York. And so it was me and him and another artist uh, named Tanya Moreau from France. But that was the kind of, that just sort of uh, back then, I think it was a little more unusual to, you know, to give over these spaces to artists to do these large-scale paintings or, or murals or installations, whatever you want to call it. At that time, you know, that was for the for the for the drawing center. That was like something they did every year, and it was a really kind of unique um, opportunity for artists to do something like that. And over the years, that has become more of a common kind of mode of operation. And, of course, you see that a lot more now, especially with a lot of the street art stuff that's happening.
0: Which is really interesting. And it's, it's funny. I think it's just, um, you know, being involved and watching it grow over the last 10, 15 years and so on. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean,
1: you know, I was I was doing that pretty much exclusively for that for that four year period between 96 and 2000. And and then I, I kind of got burnt out on just having everything I did destroyed and and not having anything to show more than once, you know, or to or sell. And so I kind of I did. Made a, also, I, I my, my son was born at that time, so it was hard for me to travel and just do whatever I wanted to do, you know, whenever I wanted to do it so uh, I made a sort of a point to do just one or two of the large-scale installations per year and then the rest of the time I could be in the studio making paintings and it's kind of I like that balance I like to do both
0: Um, if we could talk about some of the imagery in your works I think I made this I made this analogy about some of the stuff that I've been doing lately and I've uh, I've been talking about um, Uh, our sensory perceptions a lot lately and i was making these pieces where i was uh just making these black like silhouette figures with uh with like elect like almost like neurological electrical circuits like veining through and it the -hmm. idea was like almost like removing the first layer of of perception that we have Mm -hmm. and i use the analogy of like the old um Health or biology encyclopedia that has the image of the the person you flip the the right. transparency over and it has the right. guts and the the bones and the system. Um, I sort of get a, that same analogy with your work um, and it's funny because you know there's a lot of what looks to be guts or sort of like innards in the mm-hmm. in the actual drawings themselves, the images. But to me, as a viewer, like I almost look at it like, okay, here's these things that are are really um, every almost everyday objects with some of the things, and you're sort of peeling away this layer and showing another like the innards of of some of these things, and a lot of the images are often, um, you know, like uh, marketing tools for children, and and yeah, not that that's all you do, but. Uh, I think some of the recent work—it had a uh, Tony the Tiger and the Kool-Aid image—is—is um, is some of
1: that uh, what you're trying to get across? You mean as far as like the peeling away of a layer and exposing? Well, you know, I know what you're saying. I I, I can see that, and definitely there is sort of a visceral, you know, sort of uh, you know motif that runs through, you know, as far as the imagery goes, and it's just you know, it's just kind of that that just comes out of. You know, sort of stream of consciousness kind of, uh, of, of, of drawing and mark making and just sort of really not having a plan so much as what that's going to look like, but just improvising that as I go. Uh, and as far as the, you know, the, the iconography of these sort of pop icons, um, you know, starting with, with the show I did at Western Project last year or two years ago, I guess, no, last year, um, that was I sort of was very um, conscious about the imagery that I was going to be sort of referencing, um, and it all had to do with the collapse of the economy and sort of the the collapse of the American dream and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of that was where I got the Monopoly Man and um, you know rich Uncle Scrooge and the presidential seal and the Warhol dollar sign. Um, so it all had, it was all related to the government and the financial sector. And, and, um, and then with the other more recent work, the stuff that I have up in the COLA show right now in LA is the same idea, but using this, this imagery associated with corporate food. So it's, it's sort of like a, uh, an offshoot of that idea and taking these images that are so squeaky clean and, that everyone knows and then corrupting them in a way or just showing them as corrupted. But at the same time, uh, keeping that, you know, that attractiveness with the candy color sort of backgrounds and the, the, um, keeping this sort of attraction and repulsion going on. That's another thing that I kind of cite in my work a lot is this idea of two, opposing elements i like to put opposing elements together in as many ways as i can to um sort of fight against each other you know what
0: yeah like making gross things look whimsical
1: yeah and vice versa you know uh, you know it's it's kind of and I, I i kind of try to do that in a lot you know, like i said on as many different levels as i can whether it's you know the scale or um particular references <laughs> put together you know just a, a lot of different uh many different ways as I can think of. It's interesting. I, I had mentioned that there's a
0: lot of um, child iconography, which is, is sort of, it makes sense even with the banking stuff, like with the financial collapse, mm-hmm. like we're all kind of like our government treats us like children. And we're <laughs> supposed to look to them to be like our, our savior parents. And, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to look to our banks to be these, these higher gods of some sort. And, and it seems like, you know, like, marketing to children like with the kool-aid man that cartoon has to be directly d- marketed directly towards kids to get their parents right. to go jump through the wall <laughs> you know right. and even like charlie tuna right. you know that's to make kids want to eat that canned tuna or right. you know and to sort of corrupt these images and make them look gross but still have that that that's that marketing sheen to him is it, mm-hmm. it is an interesting uh sort of back and forth yin and yang oh thanks with uh, i think and it it's such a natural reaction for artists to like to try to uh to pull from both ends of those spectrums do you ever do you ever find yourself uh as acting like devil's advocate sometimes in uh do you ever find that in discussions or or in your day-to-day life oh, i'm not sure what you mean you know if if uh i think to be able to do um to have a, in your work that, that dichotomy of something gross and something something not gross or you know whatever the opposite is you have to kind of examine both of those ideas mm. which i think gets yeah. gets you to look at at everyday moments from different perspectives right. if if you're willing to look at both ends of a spectrum like that
1: yeah for sure i mean you know because obviously these these this iconography, these images, these pop references—I mean, they're all things that I love as well. You know, I mean, I don't—I mean, I, I I don't eat Frosted Flakes anymore, but I did <laughs> as a kid, it was one of my favorite cereals. And all those characters, you know, they they become such a part of 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 me and of of most of us just through advertising. And they're they're sort of beloved characters in a way. You know, I mean, that's and for me, that's sort of what that's one. Yeah, it's one of those. Dichotomy is one of those elements that you were talking about. So you know, to take something that is beloved and sort of fuck with it like that. I mean, it's it's been done, you know, by many many people. But it's it's different than taking something that is already you know something uh, disgusting and and doing a drawing that's that's gross. You know, I mean, <laughs> or taking the same kind of image and, and painting it in a way that is really repulsive looking, uh, oh. so it's all kind of one note, it's a different approach. And uh, that's one of the reasons I like to, you know, to, to show it, to keep it sort of on the edge and, and have both of those elements.
0: You had mentioned um stream of consciousness earlier, and I talk about it It's been a little while since I talked about it on the podcast, so I'm willing to talk about it again, but I talk about it often um about that sort of uh meditative phase that were that some that artists are able to reach or creative types or or any even like sports mm. you know athletes that sure. get into like a sort of focused state of mind, and you mentioned like when you do wall paintings that it it gets down to that line work that that's where the like the joy and 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 the the rewards come. Is uh is there something in that uh do you do you find some comfort in that stream of consciousness moment that you reach then that sort of clears then?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a weird thing though. I mean, it's you know I can I can go into the studio and you know once I've got a, a painting kind of up and running and then I can just come in and sit down and start working. Um, Yeah, I can totally get lost in it. And, you know, you know, time, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like time is passing and you just, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, it's a different state definitely to be in mentally. Um, You know, I'm usually listening to uh, the radio or podcast or something. And, um, you know, I can, I'll work for, a while I take little breaks here and there but I've noticed that that if I work all day and for me like doing that line work is really I can really only do that for about six hours a day and then I I lose it and after I'm done I kind of feel like I need a a break in between that and going back into the world you know like I never seem to take that break but I've noticed that when I go back out and I'm not really ready mentally to, uh, interact with with people so much, you know,
0: that's interesting. You need a, uh, what is that? What's that? Uh, uh, what's the area called before you go to heaven?
1: Uh, Uh, I don't know. Purgatory. 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 You need, Uh, you need like an artist (laughs) purgatory to relax. I, I I need, I think I need to meditate or something in between. I have to start figuring out how to do that, but meditation or, um, I don't know. I need some kind of a palate cleanser there because uh, I mean I, I love to be in the studio and working, but it it is draining at the by the end of the day. Um, you know, it it sort of does take a lot out of you in some some ways.
0: Yeah, which is interesting to think about if uh, like how we how we become mentally drained. It's almost like. You know, I talk about, like, that clear state of mind that we reach in, in some of that, like, stream of consciousness stuff once we, like, really get into the zone is when our mind really starts to think more clearly. It lets go of all the other, like, day-to-day bullshit and lets you focus on, like, important things. But it's almost like an like an unconscious focus. Because I'll, mm-hmm. I'll have paintings that it's almost as if I don't remember doing them. Mm-hmm. Like, looking at the marks is like, oh, I made that? That's interesting,
1: mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And it, it is, it's ex- sort of for me, like a real extreme focus and not that it's not, I'm not like, okay, focus. I'm just, <laughs> I get into that mental state and it, it is extremely focused and that's, you know, of course then you get interrupted and you know, it's, it's, you have to get back into it and sometimes it takes time. Uh, but I, I remember sort of on the opposite of what you just said, I, I, I remember uh, like, I'll look at a painting and I'll, I'll remember what I was listening to at that moment that I was doing that little area. Like I have all these memories associated with the different parts of the paintings.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So it's like that hyper, that hyper uh, focus allows you to have like a, a sensitive memory as opposed to like me, like letting go of whatever is happening. Just not remembering. That's funny. Um, You just got back from uh, Buenos Aires, right? I think when we were talking about trying to get you on the show, you were just getting ready to head back or head out there, I think.
1: Yeah, I was there, I think, when uh, I got that email from you. And, uh, yeah, so I I had to wait a couple of days to uh, figure out what my schedule was going to be when I got back. But, yeah, I was there for this Puma event called Puma Urban Art. And um, they invited me and couple of other artists um uh, frank kozik who is in san francisco and uh, d-face from london they invited us out to participate in this show and there were a lot of local artists there as well and they brought in bands uh one band from new york and then other local bands and it's just kind of a um a cool sort of local event where people would come out and just see the work and hang out. And, you know, I did a talk and, you know, Frank did a talk and uh, just, you know, showed, showed some, uh, images and talked about it. It was cool. It was a really great event. It was really a lot of fun. Buenos Aires was, was, uh, a really nice city. Right.
0: Uh, I, uh, I met Frank Kozik a couple times here in San Diego at Comic-Con. Mm. He's uh, he's an interesting character.
1: Yeah, no. I was first well, I met him once before, very briefly. We we were both in a show together a few years ago, but uh, you know, I I just sort of I was there by myself, and he was there with his wife, and uh, they were just great. We just really hung out, spent like five days just checking out the city, and it was pretty cool. I like those guys a lot. That's awesome.
0: He and uh, Ron English actually did a battle in my sketchbook. Oh yeah, yeah. They because uh, I was going around getting people to do little doodles in the sketchbook while I was walking around. And uh, Frank did one, and then Ron English like did like a mock one on the next page, like like mocking him. And mm. then uh, <laughs> Frank saw it and did another little drawing. So they had like a back and
1: forth battle in the sketchbook. That's it's priceless. Great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't
1: know. Are those guys friends, or were they just fucking around? Or
0: yeah, I yeah, I'm sure they're they're probably <laughs> old friends. I'm sure. Yeah, I it yeah. was
1: it was all in, uh, in the, fun. Yeah,
0: in the best of yeah. jest yeah that's cool um you're getting ready i figured this was perfect timing i guess we get we were doing some um talking calisthenics here some talking stretching you're getting ready to go uh speak over at the la municipal gallery you know get a little loose yeah yeah, muscles worked up
1: funny a funny day for uh (laughs) yeah talking about myself my work but yeah tonight i'm going to the gallery to la municipal gallery to talk about my work you know it's kind of like the way they have it set up it's like a little tour of the show with some of the artists. So I'll be, you know, with a group of people in front of my work and just explaining and talking about it, taking questions. And then we'll go on to uh, the other artists uh, who are Ken Gonzalez day and Heather Carson. Uh, We're all speaking tonight. And I guess there's a different, there's probably three or four different uh, events like that. Are you
0: pretty comfortable now with the public speaking and, and talking having to talk about yourself, which is always so very strange, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um it's never really pleasant. Like I don't really like it so much. It's something I've gotten used to over the years and I used to be like deathly afraid of it, like most people are, I think. Um, but you know, once you get started, it's usually fine. And uh you know yeah, it's you know I like kind of like in in Buenos Aires actually they they had you know they expected me to do this talk and I was like okay fine that's no problem. But I just assumed that they were going to be like interviewing me on stage or something and and they didn't have any plans for any of that. So, you know, and I didn't bring any images to show or anything so I was like oh great. But I sort of just asked them there was this one guy there who has a blog. I wish I could remember the name of it and plug it. Um he's uh he was there and uh so i said i oh, wanted you, you know have him interview me on stage because it's always better to just you know if you have a question to respond to it's so much easier than just sort of getting up there and starting and you know trying to make some sense you know
0: that's i've been talking to some um stand-up comics recently and that's one of those things it's like how strange is it to have a conversation with a crowd of people and have Seemingly, none of them talk back to you. You know, people get right. loose in the in the comedy rooms, but you know, you're having a conversation by yourself to a room full of people. It's
1: awkward. Yeah, just to just a sort of monologue like that. It's it's tough. I mean, especially in that situation, if you're trying to make somebody laugh, you know. I think yeah, it's in, and
0: with that added pressure of having to be funny is is yeah. even worse. Um, but I think you know, I think it's good for artists. I I've noticed just in doing this podcast. You know, and talking with all these artists that like being able to get the voice out there of like a more complete story has been really beneficial. Not only to me, like talking and learning other people's stuff, but for listeners to really get a better sense of who people are, because, you know, usually artists get the 10 questions. It's usually they're pretty much the same and you, you use some sort of similar answers or, you know, what have you and you don't often get a t- the amount of information to to really get to know somebody you know
1: yeah i think it's it's nice to get some you know just some in depth uh background i mean i i love to listen to talk stuff i do it all all day long in the studio and um you know i i i love to to sit down and listen to the to a conversation but uh it's like but if i hear half of a conversation like if someone's on the phone And I can only hear one side of the conversation It just really drives me nuts (laughs) (laughs) for whatever reason. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's good to, uh, you know, there's, yeah, like there's not that many uh, opportunities to hear other artists talk and and just like, there's so much like minutia and, and, and stuff that most people I think would be totally bored by, but I think most artists, uh, are interested in hearing and interested in, in just talking about, um, so it's a cool, it's a cool thing. Yeah, I think it, I, I hope, I, I really, I hope that more artists
0: take the opportunity to get out there and get their voice out there, you know. Because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other um, creative fields that are utilizing podcasting, and, and you know, it's funny. Like I, I was talking before about how graffiti writers were some like the first artists to utilize the internet when the internet first started mm-hmm. up. You know, like they had that sense of getting up, or you know, mm-hmm. like getting the getting your name out there and they utilize the internet almost immediately whenever it became available and you know Mm -hmm. as artists we all we're all out there now with social media and the whole routine so you know it's it's good to connect with with these people i think because and then even at shows like you don't really have opportunity to really talk to somebody at at exhibitions it's such a like a tornado of you know emotions and everything
1: else Right. And, and now, of course, you know, I mean, the Internet also, I think, is great in the for the fact that, you know, you can be anywhere. And that was that was one of my, you know, sort of uh, things that I used to decide uh, when I was moving back here from New York. It was kind of like, well, I don't really need to be in New York anymore as much. I mean, as I as I wanted to be there, you know, in the early 90s, uh, you know, it was sort of. Um, it was a lot more difficult to to interact with with people all over the world, you know. And now, you can kind of be anywhere and still talk or show images or be in touch or you know sort of socialize or whatever uh, network. So it's yeah, it's kind of uh, it's changed a lot in that way.
0: It's the future. That's right. <laughs> well. Um... <laughs> I know, we mentioned that you'll be at the uh, uh, La Jolla Municipal Gallery tonight, so for the people that watch the stream, yeah, maybe yeah, they'll be LA able the to... LA
1: Municipal Gallery. What did I say? La Jolla.
0: That's... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. The Los Angeles. Yeah. I'm thinking of La Jolla. It's so nice yeah. out today. I'm yeah. thinking I need to go get on the coastline. Um, yeah. But do you, nice any, do you have any other uh, projects coming up in the distant future or, or near future besides uh, this evening?
1: yeah i mean aside from just like some uh some stuff i've been working on lately uh well i do have this there's this painting behind me here this surfboard there's a surf show coming up in uh in palace verdi's art center opening in july it's a group show uh but other than that my main focus for the rest of the summer is this uh my first permanent public art uh installation and that's commissioned by the city of New York and I'll be in New York for like the first three weeks of August uh, installing that and yeah so that's kind of like my my real my real focus for the rest of the summer I have to spend the next you know six four to six weeks getting ready and then go there do it and you know when I get back I don't have anything on the calendar so that's that's kind of the the weird, scary part of it. But I have plenty to do from between uh, between now and and uh, the end of August. Yeah. Well, Matt, congratulations
0: on uh, on that commission. Thanks. Is yeah, that it's, it's
1: one of those things that I've been I'd applied for a lot of things over the years. Uh, it, you know, as far as a percent for art or uh, one of those kinds of programs in New York, and I, I'd never got one. But they were cool enough to uh, to keep actually inviting me to apply and sort of compete for the job, and finally I got one and it's really the, probably the best one I could have hoped for considering uh, the location. It's right, right lower Manhattan, right near City Hall. It's in a brand new Frank Gehry uh, luxury tower that has a public school on the first five floors and I'm doing a, a mural in the cafeteria of the school. And I get to paint it right on the wall, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: Nice, and that goes right hand in hand with talking about uh, the current food issues in America, huh? <laughs> right? Especially right. in uh, in for our children, like the, right. the junk that we're feeding our kids.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. But I'm not I'm not painting the same exact I'm, for this. I'm doing something. It's it's kind of a, an unusual wall. It's it's ten feet off the ground. It's six feet by 100 feet and so it's you know it's a very long shape uh and it runs along the ceiling so it's kind of like a freeze like architectural freeze in a way and I'm doing more of a landscape idea kind of an idea of what the surrounding landscape would have looked like uh you know hundreds of years ago or more uh so it's all just sort of a natural landscape very lush and uh but it's done in in the style that uh i've become accustomed to
0: wow well that sounds uh that sounds really interesting i look forward to seeing all that
1: cool yeah it should be good it Should be fun.
0: <clears throat> all right so um, let's plug your internet stuff you you got a website and the twitters and the facebooks and the whole thing where can people find you
1: yeah uh twitter is just um at mark dean Veca and uh mark yeah that's kind of what's uh, how to reach me if you're interested
0: All right. Well, um, Mark, thank you very much uh, for joining me again. I I appreciate your time. Hey, it was my pleasure,
1: and uh, look forward to meeting you in person one of these days. Yeah, we'll we'll make
0: the uh, the real life handshake happen. But for now, let's do um, let's do internet dap. All right. Do that. Make that happen. Thanks. All right. Thanks, brother. Have a good day. Okay. Okay. You too. All right. Later. Deep down in a hollow log, coming home like a ladder bomb Cold was the storm that covered the night Call a doctor, call a ghost Put a fire to your bones, sick of dog and all you know